Man, if you've been here for the last several weeks, we've been teaching through the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. If you haven't been here, that's all right. I'll catch you up quickly. But we've just been teaching through this book for the last several weeks. We're going to continue doing that throughout the rest of this year. And this letter to the Romans has been said that it's the greatest letter that's ever been written, not just in Christianity, but just in general, because even outside the church, it has been recognized as one of the greatest letters ever written, so much so that... The, the, at Harvard Law School, 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 listen to me, at Harvard Law School used to, when you would go into Harvard Law, they would make you read the letter to the Romans because Paul wrote it in such a way where he argued, he knew what people would have arguments for when he was saying things. And so he anticipated that and he would speak to that. And so they would have lawyers read it so that as they read it, they would know how to argue like Paul did. And so Paul made an incredible argument in the letter to the Romans, and his whole argument is about Jesus and the gospel and how it can be trusted. And so we've just been teaching through this over the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to do that today in Romans chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, don't worry about it. We've got the verses on the screen. We're going to look at verses 19 through verses 26. And verse 19 and 20, Corey hit a few weeks ago if you were here for that. But I'm going to pick back up right there, and then we'll go into uh, and end on Romans chapter 3, verse 26. So let's jump into verse 19 and 20 first, and then we'll get in. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it, speak to, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So that's kind of summarizing everything that he said up to this point about the law and how all of us are under the law. We're born into it. Not just in a supernatural sense, but we get this even in a physical sense because we're born into this country. If you're born into the United States, you're born under the law. You're, you're born into the laws of this land. And the deal is all of us have broken those laws and we won't be able to talk our way out of breaking those laws and we'll have to be held accountable for them. He's arguing the same way that is, that's how it is with God. And I'll never forget one time when I moved here to Georgia, I'm originally from Texas, we moved here, my family and I moved here in 2010, just an incredible story in how God made all that happen. And if you come to our welcome lunch next weekend, I'm gonna tell you more about it. But when we moved here in 2010, I was getting used to kind of the lay of the land and, and our offices, we used to not be here on this location in Canton, we didn't have the location in Jasper. We used to meet at uh, the Cherokee County Conference Center. We were portable, setting up and tearing down. And our offices used to be in Holly Springs. And in Holly Springs, before they redid the whole intersection in downtown, if you're familiar with it, you know, there was this place where you were coming out of our offices and you would come up the hill getting onto Highway 5 and there was a stop sign there. But it was more like, you know, it was treated more like a yield sign because it was kind of like it's merging onto Highway 5 and that's how most people treated it. In fact, you know, you kind of think that way, kind of getting onto a highway, but it wasn't a yield sign, it was a stop sign. And so when I was coming up to it one day, I treated it more like a yield sign and did what, you know, it's affectionately called the rolling stop, you know what I'm talking about, where you kind of come to a stop, but not really because the weight in the car doesn't shift back. And so I kind of go through it and then I move on. And then that all, the, you know, that, that fear that we all have strikes in my heart as I see the blue lights go on, right? And the cop pulls me over and in my mind, you know, we do what, you know, all of us do, kind of like our instincts take over and your first thought is, can I outrun him? I might can outrun him. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, clearer heads prevailed, and, and I wasn't in a hot rod. I was just in a little Ford Ranger. I'm like, I ain't outrunning nobody in this thing. And so then I thought, all right, I'm not going to try to outrun him. This isn't moonshiners. I'm not a bootlegger, right? And so then I'm starting to think, all right, how can I talk my way out of this? 
And I don't know about you, I'm a talker, right? That's what I do. And so I talk, and so I like to think that I can talk my way out of being guilty. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. And so I'm, I'm trying to think in my mind, all right, what can I say to this guy when he comes up to my window why he shouldn't give me a ticket, right? So I'm trying to talk my way out of it. So here's what I think. I think, oh, because I, I had just moved here. And I said, officer, I'm going to say, I just moved here. You know, I'm just kind of still getting used to things. Didn't really notice that was a stop sign, right? You know, just kind of thinking that way in my head. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty good excuse. So he comes up to my window, says, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? I, you know, he didn't stop at the stop sign, license and registration. And I said, sir, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm kind of new here, just kind of figuring things out. And I kid you not, this is what the officer said back to me. He said, sir, stop signs look the same everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, you're right. Like we got stop signs in Texas and they say stop and they're not suggestions, right? So I got a ticket that day, couldn't talk my way out of it. And I had to, had to be held accountable for it. That's in essence what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, all of us have broken the law. And even if you didn't grow up in church and you don't believe in Jesus, you know, but you know in your heart there's a sense of a guilty conscience. We all know we're not the best versions of ourselves. There's all these things that we do that we're ashamed of, we're not proud of. And so what Paul is saying very simply is this, we're all under that law, spiritually speaking, and all of us will have to give an account, but we won't be able to talk our way out of it. Every mouth will be stopped. And then he goes on, look at this in verse 20. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he goes a step further and he says, listen, not only have we broken the law and we won't be able to talk our way out of it, we can't make up for it by just obeying the law better. Because by obeying the law, no person is justified. And that word there, justified, just means to be made right before God. The idea of it is it's just if I'd never sinned. He said, so no human being by obeying the law better will be able to make up for the fact that they've broken the law. Again, thinking back to this time where I got the ticket, I could have told the officer, officer, I promise every other time at a stop sign, I'll stop. I'll come to a complete stop where the weight shifts back and I'll drive underneath the speed limit every time. To which the officer would say, that's great. You should do that anyway, but that doesn't make up for the fact that you broke the law this time. So we can't make up for breaking the law just by obeying the law better. The problem is bigger than that. You know, I was thinking about that this week, in fact, when my son, who had this computer chair in his room, and he likes playing video games in his room, and he didn't have the computer chair because he's got a computer desk, but he was sitting in this computer chair, you know, it goes up and down and all that kind of stuff, um, and he would play the games, and he's pretty rough, and I don't know if you've got kids or teenagers and they play uh, games, but when he's playing it, I mean, it sounds like he's actually really legit fighting somebody, and he doesn't even have a Wii. Like, he's just up there, and he's just, you know, it's loud, he's jumping around, hollering. So he broke this computer chair, but he didn't just, like, break the armchair or rip the, the pleather on the back. Or He broke the part of the foundation of the chair that was holding the thing up to where it was, it was like, leaning over sideways. It was beyond repair. And so my wife rightly said, hey, take that to the dumpster. We need to get rid of it. And so Jackson brings it downstairs, and we're loading it up into my truck, and it's, it's broken. And, Dad, and Jack, he loves this chair, and he said, Dad... Can we fix this with duct tape? <laughs> and I gotta be straight with you, man. It was a moment as a redneck father that I was, I mean, I got a little verklempt. I was like, mm, my boy thinks everything can be fixed with duct tape. <laughs> Hashtag winning as a parent, right? Like I, 
I am doing the world a favor by raising a son who thinks that duct tape can fix just about anything. But I went on to show him, I said, no, look, son, this isn't just like an arm, this is the foundation of the thing. Yeah, we could tape it, like we could bring, line it back up and tape it up and they would hold that, but it can't hold your weight. Now we could tape it up and play a cruel joke on your mom and let her fall over, but I don't wanna do that because I like being married. And so, no, <laughs> duct tape won't fix this because it goes to the foundation of the chair. We need a new chair. And that's in essence what Paul is saying here. He's saying not only have we broken the law, but we've broken the very foundation that we stood on and duct tape won't fix it. More of just trying to fix it ourselves won't work. Now, if I ended the Easter service right there, you'd be like, this is a horrible Easter service. That's just simply what we call the bad news, but that's a setup for the good news. And here's the good news. Verse 20 is not the last verse. Look at verse 21. He says, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I started in verse 19 because verse 19 starts with the word now, and then verse 21 starts with the two words, but now. The reason why those two are important is because you don't understand verse 21 without uh, verse 19, because verse 19 says, now, here's our present circumstance, but verse 21 starts with a conjunction, but. And we all know conjunctions, right? Conjunction, junction, what show? Function. Some of you have been educated, that's great. The rest of you, there's some great cartoons out there that you could watch, all right? But this conjunction buts what's called an adversarial conjunction. What it means is it's showing the opposite of. And these two words, but now, are two of the greatest words in the Bible. Two of the greatest words in the Bible. Another place Paul says, but God. So this is a big but here. And I like it and I cannot lie, right? <laughs> Sorry for all you ghetto ones out there. You know what I'm talking about. Those of you think that I need Jesus, that's just a reference of what I've been saved from, all right? So here's what you need to know. This is a big conjunction and it's important and this is why I highlight it because without this three letter word, we're done. We're done. But the good news of the gospel is this, God didn't leave us in our current now circumstance. He didn't leave us just having broken the foundation of it all, but God, but now. There's a way to be made righteous apart from the law. I love that. That word there, apart from, is a preposition of separation, which means it doesn't come through salvation. Think about it like this. Salvation doesn't come through the same way that you broke it. You broke it, and now, but now, but God has made a way apart from that. And how he's done it, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, he says that all looked forward to this moment. He has done it through Jesus Christ. He says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith, that's a preposition of means. So what that means is we have faith in Jesus Christ and we believe what he did. Now that word there, believe, is a Greek word, pistuo. And it means to believe in. In English, it doesn't quite translate correctly because when we think of the word believe, we just very simply think of kind of like a mental assent to a truth. And that is believing that. 
And so there's a lot of people believe that Jesus did something, but they're not believing in Jesus. There's a difference, especially if you grew up in the South and you grew up around church. I'm pretty sure probably most of you, if not all of you, have heard this story and you're like, oh, I believe that. But there's a difference in believing that it happened and actually believing in it to save you. And let me give you an illustration. A friend of mine used this illustration. I thought it was great. The illustration is this. When we moved here nine years ago, we bought a house in an HOA neighborhood. And the HOA neighborhood has a swimming pool. In Texas, we didn't always have those swimming pools. And so now our neighborhood has a swimming pool. And as we've grown up, my daughter, who was learning to swim, we would take her to the pool in our neighborhood. And, and most of us, you know, we grew up, if you knew, learned how to swim, maybe taking, you know, maybe you didn't take swim lessons, maybe you did. Maybe your dad just kind of threw you in the pool and said, have at it, right? And now we go to counselors because of that stuff. But now... We're teaching our daughter how to swim, and, and, and she likes swimming. She loves it, actually. And I, and I remember back when we would get into the pool. I would get into the pool. My daughter would be standing on the edge of the pool, and I would say to her, arms out, jump. Jump in. I'll catch you. And again, I don't know why we do this to our kids, but we do. And some of you are like really bad dads. You have them jump, and then you move over, and you're like, oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> But I will not kind of dad, been a good dad. And so I'm trying to convince my daughter, hey, I got you. I promise you, you can trust me. I will not drop you. And here's my daughter, four or five years old, faced with a conundrum, right? Can she have faith in me to catch her? Now, here's the difference. She can stand on the pool, on the edge of the pool, and believe that I'm her dad. Oh, that's my dad. As far as I know, he's been in my house every night, right? Like, I mean, he... Feeds me, he, you know, clothes me, he makes sure that I'm taken care of. That's my dad. He's married to that lady over there drinking a LaCroix. That's my mom. That's my dad, right? Like, yeah, that, those are my parents. And she can continue to stay on the edge of the pool and believe that I'm her father. But it's not until she jumps off the edge of the pool that she's believing in me as her father. Because when she jumps off the edge of the pool, she's got no concrete now to hold her up. When she's mid-flight, right? If you were to slow-mo it down, and she's thinking, I hope he catches me. Because in that moment, she is trusting in me 100% to catch her. That's the essence of what this word believe means. You're believing in Jesus. You have taken your step off of the edge and you have jumped. And you are believing in him alone. We would say in Christ alone. Faith alone. You have faith in Jesus that he can catch you. That's what it means to believe in and there's a lot of us, again, we've grown up around church and we believe that, but we haven't taken the step of faith to believe in. And here's why I think we haven't done that. I think there's two reasons why we haven't done it. One is because we don't think we need him. We think we can jump off and catch ourselves. We think that we're good. And Paul's going to answer that question. But the second reason I think that we think that we don't need it is we're not so sure if he'll catch us. 
So one, we overestimate our abilities. Two, we underestimate his abilities. Well, let's deal with both of those. Look at the next verse. He says, for there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul answers the first thing thinking, oh, I'm overestimating my ability. But he also answers the second part. Look at this, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, let me break all this down for you. The first one where we think, oh, I'm good, I can do this, and we overestimate our abilities, Paul speaks to that and says, no, we all fall short. There's no distinction. All of us fall short. And I don't know if you know this, but you're in the all category. All of us fall short. And that word there, falls short of the glory of God, very simply means we miss the mark. We don't measure up. We're not good enough. And to go back into this kind of swimming, diving analogy, jumping off into a pool, it made me think back to a time where I utterly missed the mark and fell short. I was a freshman in high school and I was playing sports and I was playing football and I was playing soccer and I was invited to go to this soccer camp at another school, another university in Texas, one that I believe that exists, but I don't believe in, Texas A&M. And so I don't believe in them. I believe that they exist. And, and I barely believe that Oklahoma even exists, right? And so, but I definitely don't believe in that team. And so I went to this university because they had a good soccer camp. And, and while we were there learning how to play soccer, you're like, whoa, you didn't have, really have a soccer's body. I played goalie, I didn't run. And so that was smart on my, that's called wisdom because goalies are in charge of everything. We just dive, we don't run. And so I was there doing this soccer camp and they had this huge outdoor pool. It's since been taken down because they've rebuilt some stuff. But this huge outdoor pool is Olympic sized pool. They had these things. And if you're under 30, you may not know what these are, but they had these things called diving boards <laughs> that used to exist on the end of pools. I know it's crazy. We didn't wear helmets, we didn't sign waivers, like we just jumped off whether we knew what we were doing or not. It's amazing that we even made it. I mean, honestly, this is the way we weeded out the weak ones. And so, <laughs> we barely wore seatbelts back then, man, come on. We weren't afraid of talcum powder. Uh, and so we, we, we had this normal diving, and a normal diving board is like kind of a few feet off of the ground. And I had done those before. You know, I'd gone off out the end and jumped off, and I was always amazed that it had enough, you know, to support this. And so this is not the diving board that, that the only diving board they had at this pool. They had the Olympic diving boards, like the Olympic platforms. And my friends, you know, so encouraging, encouraged me to jump off of the top one. And by encourage, I mean, we're shaming me. And so I'm not gonna, I'm a freshman in high school, right? I'm not gonna let anybody talk me up or, you know, talk me down and say I can't do something. So like, oh, I asked somebody, hey, how tall is that? 10 meters. I'm thinking, sweet, that's only 10. See, I'm redneck and I don't deal with meters, <laughs> right? Like for real, I deal with feet. Well, it wasn't until I got up there that I realized that 10 meters is 33 feet. Like, I'm not doing that math in my head. I can barely do it, right? And so I get up there, and I just want to let you know, 10 meters, 33 feet, the best way to do it is that's three stories. 
Now I'm six feet tall, and so I got, I got a six foot view on top of 33 feet, so I'm staring down 39 feet at the top of this thing, and, and that's a little bit higher than three feet, 10 meters. Now I'm faced with a decision. Am I gonna walk back down this thing, which took me like five minutes to walk up, while my friends are down there loosely cheering me on? I thought, well, that's worse shame than me actually jumping off of this thing. But then I thought, you know what? I'm not just gonna jump off this thing and do a toothpick like most scared people. I'm going to swan dive off of this joker. Yeah. Now, if you don't know what a swan dive is, or you jump off a normal diving board, hands out into a dive, right? And so I jump off. I'm, I'm kind of psyching myself up. I get up. I mean, again, 39 feet down, yo. I mean, again, 10 meters is so confusing. And so when I jump off, and, and I don't know if you can tell, but this is not really the body of an Olympic athlete. Um, <laughs> It takes a lot of work to get this body in a, in a certain position. And so when I jump off, I jump off with the angle that I would normally jump off on a three-foot diving board. So I would jump off, right, and then contort my body and then come down like that. And then, bam, I'm in the water. The only problem is I still had 30 more feet to go. <laughs> so as I jump off this thing, <laughs> I start coming down like this. And then, because of gravity, I start over-rotating. Yeah. To the point to where I did what we affectionately call, not a belly flop, but a back flop. At the bottom of the pool, when I regained consciousness, <laughs> for real, <laughs> and realized I wasn't I mean, I wasn't sure because you're underwater. I'm like, is this heaven? Jesus, right? Like, I come back up for air and my friends at that point literally think that I might be dead. And I regain my consciousness and realize 10 meters is a lot higher than I thought. That's called falling short of the glory. There's no way I would have gotten a gold medal for that dive, right? You couldn't even call it a swan dive. They were like, this is the fat kid jumping off, landing on his back. And so we, we think about our ability to save ourselves. I want you to understand something. We overestimate. We overestimate. And what Paul says here very simply is, listen, all of us fall short of the glory. All of us miss the mark. All of us miss the mark. And so again, the reason why some of us don't come to Jesus is because we overestimate our ability to nail it. But I think one of the other reasons why we don't come to Jesus is we underestimate his ability to save us. Which Paul says this, we are justified through faith, by grace, as a gift, redeemed through Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that word propitiation is a big theological word. It simply means this, a payment that satisfies. A payment that satisfies. 
So again, one of the reasons why most people don't jump into the arms of Jesus is because they don't know if he can be trusted. But what Paul is arguing here is this. Listen, the reason why you know that Paul can be trusted, that God can be trusted is because God put him forward as a payment. And this word here, put forward, is so interesting. I love this word. It not only means to bring forth, it means to plan beforehand. So here's the cool thing about God. God knew that you and I would miss the mark. He knew it. So before we ever jumped off, he already made a way. He already put forward, he already planned beforehand to put Jesus forward by his blood to pay the price. That's what the word redemption means. The word redemption is simply an accounting term that says to pay what was owed and Jesus paid it and that payment satisfied. Now here's the question. How do you know it satisfied the payment that we owed? How do you know? We don't know simply because Jesus died on the cross. I mean, any person in the world could say, I am here to save you and I'm dying for your sins and I died on a cross. Jesus isn't unique in that sense. He's not the first person who has said that he was here to save. But you wanna know how we know? It's because Easter Sunday. Because Jesus didn't just die, Jesus came back from the dead. Jesus didn't just give his life as a ransom, as a payment, by his blood to secure the debt that we owed. He came back on Sunday to say, check cleared. God accepted it. And this is the part, I gotta be honest with you, this is the part where I legitimately don't understand. And I'm not being mean today. If you don't believe in Jesus or you don't trust Jesus, I want you to understand something. Like we're having a conversation around coffee now. I legit don't understand why you don't trust him. And the reason why I'm saying that is he's like, well, I don't believe in this. This is all fairy tale stuff. No, 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 this is not fairy tale. This is factual. This is factual. Do you realize that we have more historical evidence to back up the claims in this book and about who Jesus is than any other historical evidence that we have? We have more historical evidence more historical evidence that Jesus really existed, that Jesus really died, and that Jesus really came back from the dead. Hundreds and hundreds of witnesses saw him and wrote about him. And we've got so much evidence, we even divided history by him. Literally, we divided our history. BC means before Christ. AD does not mean after death, so quit saying that, because that'd be like a weird 33 gap in our time, 33 year gap in our time frame. AD means the year of our Lord. Anno Domini, it's Latin. What are we saying? He's the Lord. We divided everything by him. We've got more historical evidence in who Jesus was and what Jesus did than any other thing. So I want you to understand something. We talk about faith today. We're not talking about blind faith. We're not talking about believing in something that you hope to be true. We're saying believe in something that was true. People saw it was true and they wrote it down to tell us it was true. And so when I say that he has the ability to save you, he has the ability to hold you up, to catch you, it's because he beat death. I mean, what other thing beats all people? I don't know if you know this, but 100% of people die. One out of one, never changes. We all die. And every other person who has ever tried to lead people on a spiritual journey, I'm not being mean. Please understand me. They did and they stayed dead. There's 
still did. In fact, you can go to shrines and see where they were. You wanna know why we're, we're, we think we know where Jesus was buried? You wanna know why we don't know for sure? Because he ain't there, we can't tell. So here's the point of what I'm saying. When you trust in Jesus to save you, you are trusting in the one person in human history who not only came back from the dead, but still ain't dead. He's alive right now. And so you're basing your faith not on a feeling, you're basing your faith on a fact. And the fact is that when he came back from the dead, it validated everything else he said before that. And it validated everything else everybody else said before him and after him. Because I don't know about you, (laughs) when you see the people who came to faith in Jesus after he resurrected, you're like, all right, I'll believe. You wanna know a prime example? James. You wanna know who James was? James was Jesus's earthly brother. Listen, I got a brother. And my brother ain't worshiping me as the savior. So for James to worship his brother, Jesus as the savior, what would that take? What would it take for you to worship your brother? Coming back from the dead, never dying again. Yeah, I believe your brother now. And James writes a whole book about it, detailing the evidence about what Jesus did and who Jesus was. Listen, if his brother could believe based upon the faith that he came back, he saw him. Don't you think that the facts are very simply, he can be trusted. He can catch you. But again, the reason why most of us don't is because we overestimate our ability to save ourselves. And that's a risk. How will it work? I don't know. Die and come back and tell me. That's the difference. But here's the good news. The good news is this. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God is so just that he has to judge sin. And listen, you don't want to judge who's not just. I don't know if you've ever been to court before, if you've ever been sued before, if you've ever had something tragic happen to your, your family before where you had to go stand before a judge. But when you have to stand before a judge, and I've done this with people in our church before, if you have to stand before a judge and the judge does something or makes a ruling that you feel is unjust, don't you feel so violated? Like you don't want an unjust God. Listen, let me tell it to you like this. You don't want a God that you can stand before and talk your way out of. You don't want that God. Because what if you're talking your way out of something you did wrong to somebody else and that somebody else who you did wrong to them, they were, you were able to talk your way out of, you're like, God, you are no longer just. Would you want God to be able to talk, someone else to talk God out of something that they did wrong to you? No, see, God is just, he has to just judge sin. But here's the good news. He's not only just, but he wanted to be the justifier, which means this. He not only wanted to judge sin, but he didn't want to judge you for it. So he judged himself. He judged his son. And again, this is why I don't understand. And listen, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't believe in Jesus because my mama said so. 
I believe in Jesus because there's more facts about what he did than any other faith system on the planet. I believe Jesus not because I haven't studied the other ones. I believe him because I have. And I have more fact to back up my faith in the dude who came back from the dead, not only so that he could be just, but so he could be the justifier of me. He could justify me. And that word again, justify, just means simply just if I'd never sinned. And I love how Paul says this, for the one who has faith. See, earlier he said, for all who believe in. That's plural. See, all have sinned and all who place their faith in Jesus will be justified as, by grace as a gift. But then he says this, to the one. See, that's singular. And you know this. All, plural, is made up of a bunch of ones, singular. So the question simply today is this. Are you one of the ones who has jumped off the ledge into the arms of Jesus by faith and now you're a part of the all who believe. But you can't be a part of the all unless you're the one. And so very simply, the question is, and then we're done, are you one of the ones who have placed your faith based upon the fact of what Jesus did and therefore have been made right, justified before God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the good news. The good news is that you didn't leave us to swim for ourselves. You didn't leave us to try to make ourselves right because we all fall short. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here in the house or listening that has never believed in, who has never trusted in Jesus. Maybe they believe that, but they've never jumped in faith to believe in. God, I pray right now you'd save them. And then for those of us who have believed in Jesus, God, I pray that we would be reminded today that we put our faith in the right place because it's based on the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection proves that you're God. You beat death and you put death on display and you disarmed everything that plagued us. You freed us from the penalty of sin and you are freeing us from the power of it and one day you will free us from the very presence of it. So help us to be encouraged today, God, that no matter what we're facing, that you're working and you can be trusted. Nobody looking around here or talking just for a second. If you'll, just give me a second. Let me ask you a question. Are you one of the ones that has put your faith in, you believe in Jesus? If you're not, then right now I'm gonna give you an opportunity to believe in, to trust by faith and be saved. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what it means. 
So if you want that opportunity right now to trust Jesus, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, not out loud. And if you wanna trust Jesus, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I admit I can't save myself And by faith, I'm believing in Jesus. I'm placing my trust in Jesus alone. I ask you to forgive me. And I know now that because of Jesus, one day, I'll live forever. And you will raise me from the dead just like you raised him. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that for the first time, very simply, I want you to do something for me. Would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Lift it up, thank you, all over. Lift it up, just lift it up just for a second. The reason why I wanna lift you, lift, have you lift it up is because we have a gift for you. We wanna give you a gift, and then when you get that, you can put your hand down. Anybody else, just lift your hand up. Come on, Jasper, Canton you trusted in Jesus, you believed in him, this is the greatest day of your life and we want to celebrate with you. When you get that gift, you can put it down. And again, for those of us who have already trusted in Jesus, I want you to understand no matter what you're facing right now, it may feel like a Friday where your plans have not worked out. But the good news of the gospel is, yes, Jesus was crucified on a Friday, but he was raised on a Sunday. And if he can turn the greatest tragedy into the greatest triumph, then he can do the same with your life. And so you are no fool in trusting in him. And I want Easter to be a reminder to you, as it is to me every year, that God can be trusted. And so whatever circumstance you're going through today, I want you to be renewed in your faith, that your faith has been placed in the right person and he will catch you. So keep trusting. Father, we thank you for this grace in which we stand through Christ and Christ alone. And it's in his name we pray, amen.